Hello, I'm Laura Furiosi, divorced mother of three, and I'm here with my mother, Lynette Galvin, with 35 years' experience in family law. You're listening to the Divorce Course Podcast. Through our candid discussions, we hope to help you through your divorce or de facto separation. We will be answering the most commonly asked questions and covering the stages and steps that you will face on your way to freedom. The only two certainties in life for our listeners a divorce and taxes. And today we're talking to Pedro Marin from Marin Wealth. We're going to discuss weapons of tax destruction. Welcome, Pedro. Hey, how you doing? Good, thank you. And welcome, Mum. <laughs> Hello, Laura. Hi, Pedro. Hey. Hello, everyone. Pedro, would you mind telling us a little bit about your background so that Alice know a bit about you before we get started? Yeah. Uh, so I've been in financial services for uh, well over a decade. I used to be an accountant, uh, shifted towards financial planning. I've been providing financial advice for over oh, yeah over 8 years now uh and look i yeah i'm currently uh the managing director at, at, at Marin Wealth and i've helped uh well over 300 families across my career in just financial planning alone um and yeah that's uh, obviously I, my name pedro means i come from venezuela but uh yeah i came to australia 16 years ago and uh haven't looked back and you come on our podcast before and done yeah. some great episodes and also done a webinar just with us recently yeah. on superannuation and divorce, which was a massive success. And, and we yeah. can't thank you enough for sharing your knowledge. That's right. And we get some lovely feedback from people that you've helped, oh, which is wonderful. We do. So good. We so, do. You're a friend of, the po- friend of the podcast. Yes, he is our friend of the podcast. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Let's get to the nitty gritty though. And I know a lot of our listeners are going to go, I'm going to skip this episode because I do not want to know about tax. I don't care. I've got mediation coming up. I'm dealing with a high conflict or a manipulative controlling person and I'm worried about the kids. Why should they care about tax? Look, I guess tax is that little gnome that sits in the back of your room that it's creepy. You don't want to deal with it, but it can be scary if it shows up to your bedroom. <laughs> like literally. So meaning... Yep. There is a lot of implications with tax. When people think tax is like a completely separate word, but think about it as debt. If you don't pay your debts, your whole life can be derailed. So your whole credit history can be derailed. The tax office is just another entity that you owe money to. It's just the owning money or the debt component called tax. So I think it's very important that you understand what your responsibilities are, what your ex-partner's responsibilities were. Uh, if you were involved in any structure or legal entity that has your name as a director or somehow responsible for any that uh, any tax or any debt, because it, it will impact you after divorce, no matter what, it might impact you forever if, if depending on the severity of, of, of the case. So I think it's very important you understand tax uh, from a whole, uh, uh, I guess, array of problems that may, may occur in the future. You're aware and you can prepare for it. So, mum, where have you seen, just for some examples for people who are listening today that are like, no, nah, it's not going to apply to me. Where are some examples where you've seen this raise its ugly head and surprise people? Oh, I have to say uh, it's never happened to my client (laughs) because I'm as nervous as a cat about tax, Pedro. So uh, our clients get told, go and get some independent legal advice. There's a Division 7A. I've seen some cases around that where the debt doesn't always show up straight away when the orders are made, but could come to bite you a year later. So it's kind of, and because lawyers are word people Mm -hmm. and we're specialising more and more in our areas, uh, we're less 
I think, proactive about tax. But is it like, is it because maybe the ex has a business and they don't know what, what's going on in it and then there's a tax debt? Is so, that an example? Yes, that's one example. Another is with self-managed super funds. Right. It's, you know, I think Warren Buffett said it's only when the tide goes out you see who's swimming naked. Yeah. <laughs> and when, when people separate, especially if one party has had most of the control of the self-managed super fund, then you can suddenly discover that it's non-compliant, that there's money missing, and you're, you signed something five years ago that makes you liable. Agree. And then when it comes to the business side, that's the other place where this tax stuff comes up, where yes. if the ex hasn't p- been paying their their GST component or their ta- <gasps> they haven't done five tax returns for the last five years, does that all come up? And it, is that included does. in the divorce property settlement? We, I, you have to deal with it. If it's not dealt with, it either results in, un- in unfairness, mm-hmm. inequity, or you're going to have to reopen the property settlement to say, hey, we we forgot to make allowance for capital gains tax, for instance. So we have mechanisms in the in the orders that make one person responsible for things, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's both of you. But you've got to you've got to be careful because the tax department isn't overly interested in your court orders. Correct. <laughs> so Pedro, can you think of any other any other instances that people might need to be mindful of where that kind of you owe money to the government? thing happens yeah. in the super world or anywhere? Yeah. So even just personal tax. So I think going through a divorce is painful enough and you want to get it over as quick as you can. If your ex-partner is not diligent or it's not order, like it doesn't have its affairs in place, especially with a, with a, an entity, uh, it could drag for years because you need all your, say your basses, your tax returns in order for someone just to say, well, how, what's just for example, what's the value of the business? You can't value something if you haven't paid your bills if you haven't you're not up to date with the ATO records so that even just drags it a little bit longer like if you basically don't know and I guess the other thing would be uh, even super tax is already complex enough. If someone comes in and said, look, actually, we we breached law and we personally are liable for a penalty because it's not the super that it's going to pay for. It's actually you personally who paid the bill. Imagine that coming into the scenario where we, we had 100 grand in cash. Well, now we don't because we have to pay 20 grand in, in penalties. And then therefore the pool shortens that also. And you're counting on half of that money to, you know, to to do your life, it can come back and bite you without you understanding uh, that it was coming. And, you know, as you were talking, Pedro, I remembered another area where people get caught up and that's in trust. Yeah. If they've got beneficiary loans or anything, that has to be dealt with. If there's a debt to the trust or a company, that's forgiven. And you might think that's all there is. There are deeming provisions, aren't there? Right. Pedro for people. So it's quite a risky thing. Exactly right. And you need to get the advice. Yeah, because uh, so to explain it to the listeners, a, a trust is effectively an invisible person that holds asset on your behalf. So you are, or a company, or you would call that like a bucket company called a corporate trustee, where they effectively are the trustee of that invisible person. So they oversee what's going on in there and they're they're responsible towards what's going on. So if, if effectively someone has a trust and there is some debt involved in that trust, uh, complicate things so badly. So I think even before considering, uh, it, I don't know, this, this will be my two cents for someone, even just before getting divorced, before, if they know they're going to go down the separation route, probably start getting your affairs in order, maybe get some help, professional help to just buy, just to combine all the information and make it clear. So by the time you're about to separate, you're like, look, I know where we stand. I know what's owed. I know what, because it just makes a much faster 
faster, much easier for lawyers to get involved because if you just put it all on the table, man, this is exactly our financial home. This is what we owe. This is what he owes. And the, the process is a complete different scenario because I've seen both, both cases where one is like, I have absolutely no idea. And the lawyers are like, we have no idea. And it's just very messy where someone comes in, this is my financial home and this is what I want to fight for or this is how we, I think it's fair. And then everything streams wide from there. And um, before we go into some more, what can people do? I just want to clarify for the listeners and us that aren't legal financial people. When when you're talking about, so say you do find out that your ex hasn't paid any tax and they, they've got like a $200,000 tax bill and you've got a property pool of say a million dollars and you're going to divide it up 50-50. Does the debt tax debt they owe get included in the property pool or is that your ex's problem? No, it, it the tax debt that's owed is taken off as a liability. So you will only then be dealing with, what did you say, a million dollar yeah, pool? Yeah. Take off 200. You really only have 800,000 to deal between yourself because the debts will be paid off joint, uh, jointly. Correct. So the first step when we do property settlement is to quantify the property pool. In other words, what what Pedro is saying, what exactly have you got? What exactly are the debts? Mm-hmm. And when someone leaves in circumstances not of their choosing perhaps or they haven't been able to, it's not safe to get all of that information. The lawyers have ways of doing it, of course, but it can be expensive. Um, so so the, the the issue that I wanted to highlight is if it's their debt, if it's their problem, it's but your because debt. you're married it's a war we're together, it's your debt. So yeah. we do get a lot of people writing in, am I responsible for this? Because I had nothing to do with it. It's not my fault. I didn't know. And a lot of people say, I've signed my name on this company or this trust or this superannuation and they've had nothing to do with it. And they ask, can I just tell the tax department I didn't know? Or can I tell the tax department that I that I had nothing to do with it? Can they, Pedro? Do, uh, do you have that ever happen? Yes, but you can't. Like basically you are. It's it's what, what Lynn was saying. So again, what I, what I mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, was imagine this debt that you have no idea what the value is. That's how tax works because you don't know the profitability of a company until you do its entire books, so its entire profit of the of the of the period, and then you understand how much how much debt is there. Sometimes people just forget about it, and you actually pay it the year after. So it could be complete. It could be a debt that was actually a year ago. You have no idea because the accountants haven't done the financials. You technically, so when you finish a financial year, you technically have until May the next year to actually prepare the financials, even if you don't. Oh, and yeah, there are penalties, but no one's putting a gun to someone's head and well, the ATO is not going to come immediately after you. So you can actually pass that May uh, deadline and still don't know what the debt is until probably, you know, you, you, you're about to get divorced. So I think also, and, and what I've seen with some, some couples is if you're a business owner, you're probably already very stressed, probably stretched. Uh, and if you add the, the stress of a, of a divorce, some people just give up. Some people's like, I don't care about my business anymore. And therefore, when you're about to split, you're like, okay, well, we actually need to do the tax return of this thing. And you're under the false impression that all the assets are X. But like Lynn said, well, X minus that debt that is coming, which you had no idea. So I think mm. it's, it's like I mentioned before, if you are somehow thinking of, of of splitting probably a good idea to start collecting information around the the if you are involved in the business that's another thing you if you're not a director of that business it's much harder to contact an accountant ask for information because ideally you want to have the whole structure just paint it just a, a whole picture because you kind of know because another thing that it could happen is not even just from someone giving up probably you can i'm not going to say 
people do it, but it can be done. You can engineer how your tax bill, it can be on a year. So based, based on like planning, like you can plan like, well, this year I want to pay a lot of tax. So you, it can be done. Like you can, you can actually, cause you, you effectively say, well, I had an expense coming this year, say a capital expense that we need, say a, a, a machine. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to defer that one financial year. It could be one financial year, meaning one month. Because you can be in June and wait one month, and then therefore that year is basically, or the opposite, you bring it forward one year. It's like it's it's there, yeah. there are ways to mani- not extreme, but there are ways to manipulate the system. And and boy, do we see those uh, manipulations, and mm-hmm. it's very hard. You've got to look a long way back. On your point, Laura, if in case our listeners are getting a little bit depressed about <laughs> about this, sometimes. Uh, the tax debts are engineered or left over and then brought into play after separation. And a typical example is where someone hasn't put tax returns in uh, for six years. You separate, they put in six years worth of tax returns and suddenly bring up all of this debt. Now, actually, that is a debt. You just didn't pay it as time goes by. But if you've been separated, if you separate and the tax is all up to date and then they don't pay the tax, for going forward and you're not getting a benefit from that business, the court will add that back in or they might say it's not a joint liability. Right. So it's kind of a post-separation negative contribution. So if if you're listening and your ex was up to date until you separated yep. and then it's gone yep. south, then you're probably in a better position. You are. Now, Pedro, there are so many stories of people who uh, members of, like I've said before, uh, a tax structure or a, some sort of company and they've got no idea because they've trusted their partner, their partner's taken over all the financials and they've just signed papers as they've come across their desk. How can people find out, you know, what what kind of companies and, and tax structures they might be involved in yeah, there's a co- if they can't get it from, a, from their filing cabinet at home? There's a couple of ways. Uh, obviously, your ATO portal is one, but the the, be- the best one could be, there's a thing called uh, Equifax, which is a credit port check. I think it's $14 mm. or $15 a month. That will tell you basically if you're a director of a, a company. It would actually, it, it, within there, it tells you you are, uh, you know, because it's your credit file and being a director is effectively attached to that. There are two, obviously, you, your personal credit file and then there's your director credit file. So there's actually two two separate things. But it kind of tells you whether your your directorship has changed, your address in your in directorship has changed. Uh, and, and that would probably tell you a little bit. I guess also an accountant, as if you start with an account, a new accountant, there you basically sign, hey, yes, uh, accountant. Accountant X, uh, I'm your new client. Please find anything that I have a, because it's all related to a tax file number. When you start a directorship or when you sign something, the tax file number will basically, it's, it's your, in the US, they call it a social security number. That's basically our, our, our same thing here, a tax file number. So either an accountant, uh, Equifax or the ATO portal will allow you to know where are you. Uh, or where's your name attached to any entities? Uh, and lawyers have another way as well. Yeah. Uh, and that is, uh, looking up the, the records on the ASIC website. Right. Uh, we have a thing in Queensland. I think it goes in, uh, nationally called SciTech Confirm. And you can plug in someone's name and out comes all of their entities and their ownership. Uh, we also do, then you can drill down and search that company. Perfect. 
and see who else is in it. So for people who are listening overseas, I have been made aware that it is it, you're not allowed to be photocopying or getting information about anybody other than yourself in some countries, but in Australia you can. Yeah. <laughs> so these Aussies listening, they could use that system yep. to look up and see it, what their ex has entangled themselves in. Commercially, right, the world world needs to know who they're dealing with, who's behind these companies. So you can do that search. You can search bankruptcy records. Again, it's a public record. Mm-hmm. So, But we are only talking about Queensland. You know, years ago, you could put in a registration number of a car and find out who owned that car. They stopped that probably for the same reasons as overseas, for privacy reasons. But if you are a company, you're a director of a company or a shareholder of a private company, then that record is up for grabs and there's no crime with that, no shame in that. So when it comes to the, so say one of our listeners out right now has discovered this massive tax debt and does the, can they go to the ATO and say, can we just pay it in installments instead of a whole big wackadoodah because then they might not be able to buy a house or something? You can, you can ask for a payment plan. Obviously it's not personally, it's for the company. So the company pays it in mm. installments. The problem there is w- what happens if, if the company basically goes bankrupt or uh, you are still attached to that. So yes, you can. The idea would probably be maybe to clear that debt as fast as you can to remove yourself from any further harm or not further harm, but just risk of um, something not being paid. So if you can, probably that's a good idea just to get rid of it and probably clean slate. Uh, but if you don't have the cash, which some people do, uh, do uh, you can either, there's two options. You can actually do yeah, uh, payment plans with the ATO or actually borrow money from a bank to pay that. And then you basically, you can, so the company can actually borrow against the company's assets and then pay that, which I see that it's very common. Uh, companies, which I don't know why, like, why can you not just plan for taxes beyond my mind? But it's usually coming like, oh, we have X amount of thousand dollars we owe. Well, this is borrow and pay it off. And I'm like, okay, sure. Mum, do you see ever, like, when it comes to this kind of tax debt issue, uh, how do they, how do they, like, do, does the judge ever get mad if someone has deliberately as a strategy not paid tax for a couple of years leading up to knowing they're going to be separated and then boom, dropping this big mm. debt? Do Is there any penalties? Does the family court care or are they like, that's your problem? Or do they see them as go, that's a nasty trick, you're a nasty person, I'm going to penalise you some way? Yes, well, there's no no penalty for being nasty in the Family Law Act, unfortunately, but it should be. It should be, Mum. But I tell you what, they get really cranky if you end up in court and there's a tax debt that hasn't been dealt with, and and sometimes people have very modest property pools. If they spend, like you were saying, Pedro, they get the money in, they spend it, so they're not actually accumulating wealth. They don't have money in the bank. Uh, then the court may, because it's a Commonwealth entity. In Australia and the tax department's a Commonwealth entity. They are very close friends right. in that regard. And so the court will usually just stop the case until the tax stuff's sorted out and dob you into the tax department or refer oh. the case to the tax department. Yeah. There are sometimes tax officers sitting in the back of the big, of the big money cases listening to the sworn evidence yeah. and they have some access to the um, subpoenaed files. Wow. Yeah, and that's that's what I mentioned before is like it can be dragged for years because you, yeah. you can still try and, you know, go back and forth with, with, with the ATO, but they, they can't enforce 
they kind of they can enforce a lot of like you know you need to pay this and that but if there's no money to enforce you just basically you just go bankrupt uh most people just go well not most people but if if that's an option people just go well i'm bankrupt i prefer to you know do this for life and 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 not pay you i don't know some people do it out of spite they really it's like uh financial uh suicide basically (laughs) yes so so i guess that gets me to that next bit what can people do who are listening today they've got some sort of massive tax debt. What can they do if they're in that pickle? Is there anything they can do to negotiate or in in the property settlement? Is there something they can put in? If you're separated or about to be and you need to get everything finalised and sorted but you don't know what to do next or you're looking for a way to do your own divorce and settlement without spending thousands of dollars on lawyer, then you already know what you need to do and that is to sign up and become a member of the DIY Divorce Blueprint. Empower, educate and equip yourself with the legal know-how and the tools you need to get divorced or de facto separated and finally settle. Work through this course at your own pace without feeling confused, lost, scared or overwhelmed of all the family law legal jargon and process it. Let us walk with you through this journey and show you a better way. What can they do if they're in that pickle? Is there anything they can do to negotiate or in, in the property settlement? Is there something they can put in there are a couple of options. Obviously, you, if to anyone who's listening to this, you really want to get out of any responsibility in on a legal entity as fast as you can, because you cannot control what the other the other party is doing. So, some of the options are: imagine you're negotiating a house, and then there's there's super the the stuff. If the house, for example, is debt free, you can borrow against the house, give that give that money to the entity, and then basically you're saying that's my half of the tax bill. Remove me from the direct ship of that company and then we call it even and you continue with the home and repaying that debt as you go so that way you are excluded from any further responsibilities or penalties that will can come after that because your name is still there uh the 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 biggest Mm -hmm. and the most important piece is remove yourself as a director of that company so any further harm it's not painting your name or your credit credit history so that's one option obviously not everyone has that option whether they can borrow against an asset to just include that money into the company and then the company pays but that's their share not the it's basically if you're imagine half and half if your share of the of the tax bill is fifty thousand dollars well off you go that's it and then once the the company's paid or whatever it is the company then pays you back whatever share of the value is given to you um that's one option the other option is you you probably just get a, a an accountant to value the company as it stands and you go well how much is it well if the company is worth two hundred grand and your share is a hundred and there's there's a hundred grand or say two hundred grand in, in in a tax debt, you kind of call it even. So you're like, well, my debt equals the value that I would get out of the, the you can actually negotiate like and that I, oh I would tell you what what your what your partner wants from this. They want to keep the company, but there's a massive tax bill and the value equates or your value equates to that tax bill, you can re- remove yourself uh, by just calling it even. Like I, I it's just as fast as you can just remove yourself from the those things so there's no further harm uh, to your name. 
before anybody keeps talking, just it's general education only. So yeah, please go and get yeah. financial advice yeah. or legal advice from an independent legal person. Just because every situation is different, there might yeah, be some right. implication for that. So, but that's just a general education. That's what Pedro yeah, um, the, would do if he was in that situation. Yeah, right. These are case and, scenarios and, that these are case scenarios that have happened where I've been sitting in front of lawyers and 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 the two parties or the party that I'm representing, and we're just as a, as a combined in that particular case was where we'll what can we do to just get out of this as quick as we can? And then we, we get, we get a, a, an accountant involved. So they value the whole company inclusive of the debt. And then we can go in and negotiate. Well, they, the lawyers go in and negotiate um, that aspect. So it's not, yeah, you're right. It's definitely a factual. Uh, it was a case yeah. scenario. So this comes up all the time uh, in my practice and my instinct is normally to advise clients to get the heck out of there mm. before it goes wrong and then you've got sort of a bar a line after which it's not you haven't done anything wrong right. and the reason many people many clients won't do that is that they want to be able to keep an eye on how the company's going right up until settlement and if they particularly if they're the ones that were doing the books and so forth, uh, they want to remain in there. But, yes, my instinct is already to cut, always to cut and run (laughs) with that. Um, Another uh, aspect of it, I guess, is that uh, drafting those clauses in law. So we, we, I think whenever there's a problem, we can draft a a clause to get out of it mostly. (laughs) And that, um, liability clause or off liability clause has been refined and refined and refined. Uh, and so now it's usually something like, uh, that the husband will indemnify the wife, uh, in relation to, uh, the company XYZ, the trust, da, da, da. And, uh, and for any liability that she has incurred or she may incur in the future as a result of her connection with that business. But Division 7A, which is a deeming provision, we need to look at that because that's where a tax debt can still come up and bite you in the bottom. And the tax department doesn't care if you've reached agreement with your ex. Okay. Can I just go back a little bit because we're not financial planners or lawyers. Okay. What does indemnify mean? Uh, protect you, pay for, mm-hmm. look after you, never get you blamed. So there's, so there's usually a clause you're saying in a lot of separation mm. property settlements saying in, uh, a clause that you just said, but basically it means that the the ex will make sure that the other person is not liable or isn't, isn't responsible for any silly business or any suing or any tax or anything. Yep. But and you're saying the tax debt, the tax office the, doesn't care about that. That's right. Neither do the banks normally if you've got a court order. But do you know, the only time I use those clauses mm-hmm. is when the debt is paid. Otherwise, we don't enter into an agreement. We get that paid first. Then I then I have that clause in there just to cover them in case anything else crops up years down the track. Yeah. Okay, all right. So Pedro, one of the ways you said to protect yourself was to get yourself off it, to remove your name. Right. Do you need your ex's approval to remove your name from these entities, or can you go somewhere and do it and say I'm, I quit? I quit my job from this director. You can remove yourself without the other parties, but then that's that's 
oh, it's it's like a band-aid really like it, it doesn't it won't fix the problem you can you can resign as a director uh without the other director's uh permission so basically just remove yourself as a director but you're probably still it's a shareholder a of it so there's the two components of the company so you 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 own the shares in a company and you're also a director of the company that's two different things share means you mm. are uh you will take in the benefit if there's profit so that's that's effectively how directors you are you are liable for, or you are responsible for that company's activities and dealings and debts so if the you know if the company has no assets and there's a massive debt and creditors come in you as a director then your personal assets are coming to play they see your home then gets sold to pay for the company's uh, dealings so that's why directors is it's when you are a director of a company's massive responsibility whereas if you're and obviously you you the company cannot do anything without the director's signatures if there's more it's like tax returns uh you dealings with it, it it's a very important position but it's also a lot of responsibility as a shareholder you basically it's it's just like buying a share in in, in stock market it's very similar you, you, your responsibilities are, are very small so mum you said write a letter saying i resign yep. And then to get yourself off as shareholder, you need the you need to get paid, or you basically withdraw you you default on the but it has to be written that you default on the value that you are you're not getting. So basically, a share will be worth X. So we can when you essentially establish companies, the share is usually worth like ten dollars or one dollar. So they're they're worth peanuts. But when you actually uh, say you're trading for several years, now that company is worth different because you when you come in. So when I mentioned around a, uh, an accountant valuing a company it's very important because every industry is different like there there's for example some industries are are valued at six times their revenue so that's in the future so that's quite like so, so there are others that's only one time so so you have to understand what's the value of this thing based on future income uh brought today so then, then those shares are not worth ten dollars they're worth you know, X amount. So minus all its liabilities, et cetera. So if you, if you, if you basically just want to completely remove yourself from shareholders from the whole lot, um, you are at some point, you're just either forgiving that uh, you're effectively saying I'm forgiving or I'm just withdrawing my, I don't want that money. I just want my name completely removed. We do that a lot in property settlement. Being a shareholder is, as you say, it's just like having a share in Woolies or something. They never come after you for the debt. So it's all benefit. So really, there's not a lot of harm in holding on to the, uh, generally as a shareholder until the end. But then, um, some, the orders will say, usually, if the person's, other person's going to have the company, that you will transfer, you transfer your share to them. And you'll do it normally for value. So if the company came in at 700,000 and you thought of 50% of that half, a, you've got 350,000. If your ex wants the company and all the shares, then you get $350,000 extra of the other company or other property, sorry, not company. Yeah. So you understand like it's a kind of a, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of a swap. And the other yeah. thing I, I, I will have to point out, like also if you're a shareholder and your ex-partner dies in the process obviously not going to happen but if it happens you're still holding that value because it's in your name so if the company has a value then gets sold onto market and then basically you receive the, the net proceeds of that whether your ex-partner is alive or 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 dead oh okay mm, okay that's interesting really 
probably stupid question, but I'm just asking this because I know that's, I think everybody who's not a lawyer and a financial planner would want to know when it comes to this. So you have your property settlement and they've sold a business or a company or whatever, and they've given you the, like your percentage, like let's just use really rounded numbers. Mm. Say you got a million dollars in the property settlement and that money is paid into your bank account and you look at your bank account and you go, oh, I got a million dollars, yay. And yay, my property settlement's finalized. Do you pay tax on that? It uh, depends on which property. So if the property mm. is your principal place of residence where you live, no, that's all yours. If it's an investment property, yes, depending on if there's a gain on the value. So if you bought that home at 500000 a few years ago, now it's worth a million, there are, there are capital gains to tax involved. It gets complicated, but they're, they're depending on what type of property we would talk about. Oh, it's a commercial property. If it's in your self-managed super fund, all of those pay tax except where you lived. If you lived in that, in that home, there's no tax involved. So if you are the one who gets the money from the sale of the house and you get a million dollars, mum, how does, how do you make sure you're not the one that's paying the tax on it? So we've been doing this for years. Yes. So, so if you're selling a property as part of a property settlement that is an investment property, mm-hmm. uh, and if you own it, let's say you own it jointly, it will have usually capital gains tax on it. There are provisions for if it's sold, the capital gains tax, tax gets either paid immediately or an amount roughly equivalent to what we think will be the tax mm-hmm. on that is put in put aside in trust to pay on behalf of the parties later. But so it's shared. Yep, it's yeah. shared. Okay. But if if you get that property, that investment property, if you say, look, do you know what? I want that as part of my property settlement and it comes to you. And you don't sell it. You just and you don't own sell it. it. Yeah. You, you inherit the capital gains tax debt on that can you, going forward. Can you, is there anything you can do about that or? Never sell it. Yeah. <laughs> so basically what you're saying okay. is you're taking on a property in the agreement. You're saying you keep the family home. I'll take the investment yep. property and you're not selling it. You need to remember down the track, you're the one who's going to pay tax. So the way we look at it is that there's court case after court case on this. So the court generally won't look at capital gains tax if the, if there's no current plans to sell the house. Like they're not, they're not looking at, so they don't take it off the value of your house. So if you've got a $400,000 house and there's $80,000, $80,000 capital gains tax, you're really taking $400 worth of house, right. unless you're planning on selling it in, in the very near future, Rosetti's case, and Rosata, sorry, if, if that's the case, the court will let you take the capital gains tax off that property. It's quite complex. Yeah. Um, and the reason they do it, Pedro, is, and, and listeners, is that if you don't plan on selling that investment property, then you don't have to pay the capital gains tax right away. Mm. And if you sell it six years down the track, and the way property prices have been going lately, it might have doubled in that time or, you know, uh, then you get the benefit of that increase, but you also have to wear the tax, uh, capital gains. It rolls over, doesn't it, Pedro? Yeah, so the, the status of the couple rolls over to the person who, who takes it. Correct. You, you take the original cost base of when you bought the home. It doesn't matter mm. which person owns it. It's just basically it keeps going all the way until sale. And then they, they, there are ways to mitigate this. Obviously, 
attaining financial advice can definitely help you there are a lot of strategies to try and reduce capital gains tax um there are ways obviously living in a high like imagine you you say i want to now live in that investment property and effectively from day one where you live that portion onward so you get a, a i tell clients man get get evaluation on the day you move because you're only paying tax from the point you bought it to the point you moved in and after that there's no tax so if you if you bought mm-hmm. it out of, out of million, uh, 500 then it's 1 million when you move you're only liable for the 500 component and then from that point onwards is not there's no tax or there's a whole bunch of ways we can try and mitigate uh mm-hmm. to to just make sure that that you know when, when you're planning splitting assets i'm telling you all the facts like oh you know this is the net amount if you were to dispose that property today whereas if you keep the principal place of residence is is this so obviously the the biggest attraction is your where you live so everyone's just an easier asset but it just depends on 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 what people uh, really really want okay so what about shares then say um you you take the shares you don't take the house and you go off you've split it he he gets the house you get the shares and you want to turn that shares into cash is there tax you have to pay on that same identical so you can't live in shares though the the two things on on assets so property is a highly illiquid asset you it can take right now obviously it doesn't take too long to sell a property but say six years ago it would have taken three months to just get that or maybe more because you then get settlement and settlement could be another 90 days so it could be six months before you can actually get any cash from it where shares is two three days uh of trading and you get the cash immediately that's the first thing. So liquidity on those assets and a tax is identical. Shares are a bit more complicated because sometimes shares give you a dividend and that dividend actually buys more shares. And then that's a different, it, it kind of gets a little bit messy. So you, you definitely need someone to tell you how would that work. Uh, but shares is much more liquid, uh, that, than, than, um, you, and also it, it most likely shares move with, with what's going on in the environment much faster than a property. A property takes out a little bit longer. It will go, it can go down as well, but it takes longer than shares. Yeah. So you've got to figure out how long you've had the shares for and get someone to calculate what potentially the tax debt would be if you sold the, all the shares and make sure you, Consider that in your property That's settlement. Right. Yeah. Uh, yes, although again, as um, Rosada says, that case says, um, if you don't have current plans to sell them, mm-hmm. they won't take into account capital gains tax. The court won't. They mm-hmm. won't say, "Oh, well, there are your shares. You've got a hundred thousand dollars worth of shares. There's twenty thousand dollars of capital gains tax." They don't say, "Oh, that way you're only getting eighty thousand value." They're going, "Are you selling them?" No, I think I'll hold on to them. Well, they're $100,000. So listeners should kink in their head if they're getting $100,000 worth of shares, but there's $20,000 worth of tax, they're technically getting eighty. That's right. So yeah. try and keep that in here. And lastly, cash. What if they just get paid cash? There was there was property, there was shares, and they just went, I just want the cash part of do you have, and, and it wasn't from a sale of a house, it wasn't from sale of shares, it was just money in the bank. And you get that put into your bank account. Do you owe tax on that in your tax return or anything that's like that? That's a big fat zero. Yeah, it's just interest. So that's only on the interest. The classic cash yeah. is king in in a divorce. Cash is king as well. It's the easiest asset and instrument to 
just move around. There's less risk. There's highly liquid. Uh, it's just, yeah, cash. And at all times, if I'm representing someone, I go straight after the cash because I know the value will be the same tomorrow, the day after, the day after that. Yes, it might buy you less goods and services over a year, but it's still the exact same amount and we can plan with that. So it's, it, for me, it gives me a lot of, um, I guess, ease because I will know with what we're dealing. Whereas if you give me shares, I'll go, well, I don't know if tomorrow that might go down by half. And then the whole thing we we plan is 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 hard so cash mm-hmm. is king and i think the other thing just just before you move on the previous uh, com uh, the previous uh, uh aspect we were talking about remember this report it's called an unrealized capital gains report unrealized unrealized means that whatever you're trading your shares an unrealized capital uh gains report it tells you if you were to sell all the shares today it tells you how much capital gains would be so it's called unrealized because it moves. Because imagine your share is worth $100, you bought it at 50 Today, the unrealized is 50 because you haven't sold it. Or tomorrow, that could be you know $10 less, so you have 40 unrealized capital. So unrealized capital gains is a great report to pick. Some people have no idea what's name. It's unrealized capital gains. You can always go to your, to whatever your um, uh, platform is or anyone to try and help you. That's a report you really want to um, want to grab. Oh. And, and can you get that online? Like if you're if you're investing through one of the like Comsec or something like that. Okay. Yeah, it's That's a very great. it's a very common report. That's brilliant. So mm. getting an unrealized capital gains report before you go into a mediation sounds like a really good idea. It does. Yeah. I've learned something. <laughs> yeah, <really. laughs> and Equifax, which you mentioned before as mm-hmm. well, Pedro, is a good way to see where your name is, what your credit rating is, yeah. and, and if you're in any businesses or trusts or anything like that. Actually, even more than that, it, it protects you from anyone opening a bank account or a credit card or anything that gets open in your name. So if someone opens a bank account or, well, actually not a bank account, it's mostly credit, but if someone opens a credit card on your name, that pings you. It tells you there has been a credit, uh, ac- that, that someone has accessed your credit file and it say, I don't know, uh, a bank X, uh, and then they, they're just inquiring on a commercial loan or a personal loan, whatever it is. And that wow. way you can protect yourself further. And lastly, cause I know we've got to wrap up. If these people listening today that with one of our lovely listeners, they've been dragged through the tech financial technical mud and they've got a really bad credit rating like they're coming out of this they've got their money they want to get a house but their credit rating is mud because you know they've just their ex has been horrible with all of this sort of stuff is there a way to for them to fix their credit rating and and get get to a position eventually where they can loan for a house etc a hundred percent yes uh there is one that probably is near impossible if you are bankrupt Unfortunately, that's for life. Yeah, the, for the first five years, no one will lend you. Well, not no one, but almost nobody. Uh, after the five years of, of, of bankruptcy, yes, the things are the like get a little bit better, but that is a stain for almost your not almost your entire financial life. Uh, if it wasn't, if there was not bankruptcy, so if it was just you know you forgot to pay or there was delays and things that would drop your credit uh, score, a thousand percent you can increase that by doing things. So you 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 there's a there's a very a variety of things you can do over time to increase your credit score back to back to where you want. 
Oh, that's good. And so that's a bit helpful. Good. And where would they get that information on how to do that? Uh, Don't so, yeah, well, talk to myself uh, or talk to even even your uh, Equifax, even though it seems like I worked it, but it's, I don't. But it's like it's such a great <laughs> report. They actually, on your credit report, it tells you a, a pointers up and down of why your credit report has moved. So, for example, uh, it could, you could be a director of a company for a long time that it builds your credit score because it seems that you're very responsible because you're dealing with a, a company. So that actually has a, a up hour. Your closing credit cards actually goes up. You have a long credit history that hours up, but then hours down, you started to inquire too many times about debt. So if you, you know, opening credit cards, you're opening personal loans that actually decreases your credit score. There's, there's a few things. Um, and obviously, it actually tells you under your score why do you have it and then you can kind of say well if if you know if over time if I, I continue yeah if i continue to be a director of this company it will help me or if i start closing some mm -hmm. credit cards it will help me um if i don't inquire about um credit uh, that will help me yeah that's good that's okay good. all right so i know this was a pretty Boring, no offense, Pedro, mum, um, right. episode, but it is, it is a, if you are a head in the sand avoidant type person mm -hmm. who just does not want to do anything. And you, when you're going through divorce, the last thing you want to be doing is thinking about this because you're emotional and all of that. But, you know, even if you could just keep in the back of your head to ask your lawyer or ask your financial planner or talk to the accountant about those unrealized capital gains, thinking about, you know, are you on any businesses that you're not aware of? Are there any tax debts that are that are looming? These are things you need to think about and and not just think about percentage. What percentage am I going to get? And not just think about the house because this stuff does come around and bite people in the it, bottom. It does. If it's if they're aware of it and if the the court is aware of it, the court can make provisions for it. But if they're aware of it and don't know how much, for instance, and they're guessing, they can guess wrong. Mm -hmm. So yes, yeah. you do. It's a, it's I kind of call it a long tail. Mm. What what you want is that when you make final property orders, they are final property orders. So you can't go back and say, oh, by the way, I just found out there's this debt. Sometimes you can, but hardly ever. Okay. So that's an application to reopen a property settlement and the court is really reluctant to do that. Mm. And they, the ones I've heard recently listening to cases, they've proven that the parties actually did know about that debt. They just. Oh. swept it under the carpet or didn't tell the court. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I think for, for the listeners, if you can afford financial advice, definitely, definitely it will, it's worth not just the money back to you, but it's worth tears, it's worth hassle, it's worth time. Uh, cause we would just pick stuff that probably lawyers wouldn't think of. So obviously we're, we're just dealing with, with, with aspects that we just deal every day, not on the divorce component, but like just a regular component. Would, I would think I would go ask these questions. Um, financial advice is Definitely, if you can afford it, sometimes obviously, because there's not many of us, it's very expensive right now. But if you can afford it, it, it is it is, it is definitely warranted. Mm -hmm. Well, thank and, you, Pedro. Uh, Pedro, if they're putting in a tax return and they do pay to see a financial advisor, is that tax deductible? Uh, yes and no. Um, I am fighting. Oh. I am fighting. Well, we as of my organization, the FAAA, uh, we are all trying to get, because there, there's two ways of how our uh, fees are deductible, which is absolutely blows my mind. That's what we're trying to get the ATO to just uh, just put a standardized, any, any cent we get paid is deductible. But 
right now, if you pay a lump sum initially, so example, we do a strategy, an initial strategy in like, I sit with you, this is the plan. And it's just a, the first lump sum that's not deductible, which is, again, I'm not going to say the word stupid, but it is very stupid. But if you're <laughs> in an on, yeah, if you're an ongoing agreement with a financial planner and effectively you are paying every month, like a retainer, that's deductible. And also the way in which is deductible is the way in the law works is if I am helping you attain an income. So if my yeah. advice to you is in any way, shape or form, helping you with your tax, actually the, the, the invoice have to say tax affairs. I help you with your tax affairs and, and there's some sort of income derived activity. They're basically like we're, we're, we're putting money X, Y, Z. Uh, that is deductible. So it's very tricky sometimes. So it comes down to the invoice of the planner and how the accountant sees, because if, if the ATO comes in and go, well, this not matched what the tax law says, but it's just absolutely bonkers why <laughs> a lump sum and an ongoing don't, don't, don't get me started. Cause I'll, I'll, yeah, I can be here for hours complaining about it, but that's, that's in an essence how you can uh, get some of the, some of the uh, fees paid to a financial planner uh, deductible. Uh, so I guess it gets some tax back. Awesome. All right. Well, hopefully our members will get some good use out of that and our listeners as well. Thank you, Pedro, again, for always giving us some great tips. Um, if anybody wants to work with you, where can they find you? Just go to the website, so marinwealth.com.au or just on our Instagram, marinwealth. Uh, there's definitely um, easy ways to book in a, a meeting with myself. Uh, this is basically you, you You do get access. Uh, when you do book online, you get access to my calendar uh, and because and, it gets really packed at least a month and a month and a half. Um, so usually just go in, find, find a, the best time. It, it could be online, in person, or, or by the phone. Uh, and usually it's just a, a, a 30 minute or an hour conversation just to understand if I can help you or if uh, I tell you, look, it's we're not a match or, or, you know, it's just to try and attain how I best can suit your needs, uh, what are your needs, uh, and if we can work together. Awesome. All right. And mum, everybody knows how they can work with you. <laughs> they can <laughs> not at the all. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Listen to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you again so much, Pedro, for your time. And thank you again for mum for welcome. everything. Uh, any last, quick last wise words, Pedro, for anybody about tax? I think it's it's just be proactive. Be, don't, don't, don't bury your, sand, your head in the sand. Uh, I know it's painful. I know if you can smell blood in the water, meaning you know your relationship is over, be proactive and contact your accountants contact like just piece everything any information you can get that you imagine you're going to work with me i'm going to ask you all that and if you tell me i don't know then it's going to delay the ways in which i can help you so not just me just an, a lawyer will need that so just get 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 proactive picking for information is also king having information to piece your life together your financial home together will save you money in the future and you can go to www.thedivorcecourse.com .com.au and you can go to our free resources uh, tab and you can download the before you go checklist and that'll have a list of all the kind of stuff that Pedro is probably going to ask you for. If, if you can do if it safely. Can, if you yeah. can do it safely, yeah. go and get that free checklist and mm. be proactive if that's you right now. All right. Thank you, Pedro. Thank you, mum. See you another time. Bye, Pedro. If you found this podcast helpful, we'd love it if you could rate, review and subscribe. By doing so, you are spreading the word to help someone else just like you. Lynn would like to remind you that this podcast is general advice only and you should always get legal advice in relation to your particular situation. And remember that the Australian laws may have changed since recording.